Let's take our Bibles and put a marker in the book of Judges, chapter 1. If you would, Judges, chapter 1, and then we'll go to Hebrews 11. Read a few verses there. And... Continuing our series on lessons of faith, I think this is lesson 24, I believe, that, that we've done. Um, some of those were one lesson broken in two because sometimes Brother Duke gets excited up here and <laughs> amen. All right, Hebrews chapter 11, uh, we'll read this, the, the same first three verses as we've done every week because they do set the ground uh, for what we're doing. It, it shows where we're starting from, what everything comes back to. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, for by it the elders obtained a good report through faith. We understand that the worlds were framed by the Word of God so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. Probably the greatest struggle that we have in our Christian life is, is that living by faith. We want to do everything by sight. If we can't see it and figure it out, then we don't believe it. We're very much like Thomas in, in John 20 on the night of the resurrection. Uh, Jesus appeared to the disciples. Thomas wasn't there. They told him Jesus had appeared. He said, I don't believe it. Till I see the print of the nails in his hand and thrust my hand into the place in his side, I'll not believe. Eight days later, Jesus showed up and called him out on it. Yeah. And that's a, that's a sobering thought when you read that. When Jesus appears to Thomas, come here. Here's my hand. And Thomas doesn't put his finger there. He just says, my Lord and my God. And Jesus talks to him and says, you know, you saw and you believe. Blessed are they who have not seen and yet believed. That's what faith is all about. It's uh, just believing God, what he says, whether we can see it or not. Romans 1.17, for therein is the righteousness of God revealed. From faith to faith, as is written, the just shall live by faith. And in this, uh, this study, we've looked at a lot of different characters uh, as we go down through those, those different uh, heroes of the faith that are mentioned here. Last week we looked at the lessons of faith from the life of Rahab. Look at verse number 31, if you will. Hebrews eleven thirty-one. By faith the heart at Rahab perished not with them that believed not when she had received the spies with peace. What an amazing story. And uh, let's pray. We'll get right into the lessons this morning. Father, help us this morning as we continue in this study on lessons of faith. Thank you for these examples that you gave to us that we could associate with. Some of these that are listed, uh, we would see and say, of course, they would be listed. Others, we, we see their names and wonder, why did God put them there? And what a, what a refreshing thing it is to understand that each of us can live a life by faith, no matter what our background, no matter what we've done in the past, we, from this point on, can live a life of faith. Pray you'd help us this morning as we study, for it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. We saw a little bit of the, the, uh, the life of Rahab last week, how that she had housed the spies. We saw the content of her faith. She believed God. She feared God. She believed the God of the, the Hebrews was the God of heaven and in earth. Uh, she believed in the substitution, uh, just a picture of what Christ did for us. Amen. Uh, we saw the demonstration of her faith. Look at the end of verse 31. When she had received the spies with peace. When we read that, I don't think we give enough credence to what it says. The Israelites were their enemy. They were the enemy of the Israelites. I mean, when the spies were coming into the, to, to the city of Jericho, you understand why they were there. 
They were spying out the city they were about to destroy. Right? Sometimes I think we, just, we read through that stuff, we don't put ourselves in the situation. And yet she believed in them, uh, believed in their God, and she received them in peace. Uh, just, isn't that amazing? That's what God does. God takes enemies and makes them friends, makes them family. That's what he did when you and I got saved. We were his enemy, and he made his family. Hallelujah for that. We saw the result of her faith in Joshua 6, that she was, she was spared. Her family was spared. Uh, her whole household, everybody that came, uh, was spared. They were spared if they were in her house, much like uh, when the death angel came in on Passover. If they were in a house where the blood had been applied, the death angel spared them. Uh, just like when God closed the door on the ark, those inside were spared. We saw the heritage of her faith, uh, how that she became part of the genealogy of Christ. What an amazing picture uh, of grace. Now we'll look here... Uh, Look again at verse number 31, and then we'll read into the, the next part of the chapter. Verse 31, by faith, the harlot Rahab perished not with them that believed not, when she had received the spies with peace. And what shall I more say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon and of Barak, and of Samson, and of Jephthah, and of David also, and Samuel, and of the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, and waxed valiant in, in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women ha uh, received their dead, raised to life again, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Others had trial of cruel mockings and scourging, yea, moreover of bonds and imprisonments. They were stoned, they were sawn asunder, they were tempted, uh, they were slain with a sword, they wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and in caves of the earth. These all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise, God having provided some better thing for us, that they without us should not be made perfect. We're not going to even attempt to cover all of that, all right? But we're laying the groundwork. I, when I read this, as a preacher, I get to verse 32, and I can hear myself in the middle of a sermon saying this. What, what shall I more say? For time would fail me. Yeah, we all say that, amen? I read this, and like, I don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews. I mean, I know the Holy Spirit wrote it, but I don't know if he used Paul to pen it. Some believe Paul. Some believe it was Apollos. If Paul didn't write it, and Apollos didn't, John R. Rice did. One of those three men, I'm sure, wrote it. But whoever this preacher was, uh, he ran out of time, Amen. And uh, I can associate that. But as we, as we look at this verse, he says, What shall I more say, for time would fail me to tell of Gideon and of Barak and of Samson and of Jephthah and of David also and Samuel and the prophets. For many, many weeks now, we've looked at lessons of faith from Bible characters. And it's interesting in this chapter, some of the studies, we have seen that God only gives one verse to the individual, Rahab, one verse. Others, he uses many verses to tell us of why he chose to highlight their faith. Of course, that'd be Moses and, and Abraham. Both of those had lots of verses in this chapter. But we get to, to this verse this morning, verse number 32, and we see that there's a shift in how the people are mentioned. In this one verse, God lists six people by name and then an entire group 
of people, the prophets. In this verse, he lists four judges of Israel, a king, David, a prophet, Samuel, and then the other prophets. And uh, so today we'll begin our study of this verse, and there'll be several lessons out of this. Um, and before we can talk about the, con- the, 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 the persons mentioned, before we can start talking about Gideon, we have to look at the setting in which Gideon lived. We have to look at his lifestyle. And, and, and you know, the last, last few weeks we've talked about Joshua. And Joshua's one of my favorite Bible characters. Uh, you know, can you imagine for all those years being the assistant to Moses? And then Moses passes off the scene and God said, okay, now we've been waiting to get to the promised land. Now it's your turn to lead them. Thank you very little. You know, he's got to follow Moses. How would you like to follow that leader? Uh, but he didn't stagger at all at that. And uh, think about, Mo- about Joshua. He had been a slave in Egypt, just like Moses had. Um, he was a leader of his tribe, the tribe of Ephraim. He was a soldier. Uh, he was the servant to Moses. God over and over again calls him Moses' uh, minister. Uh, he became Moses' successor. By the way, I, I love the statement made um, by Dr. Wayne Shemish. He was a pastor in Australia, now a missionary in Thailand. He said, there is no success without a successor. Good thought, amen? And, and Moses turned his ministry over to Joshua. Joshua then led the children of Israel to the Jordan River and then led them through the Jordan River to the promised land. Uh, he divided the land to them. It was he who, who was in charge of that. He, he led the children of Israel for 24 years. Then we get to the book of, of Judges. Um, in the book of Judges, we see that, uh, that each, each of the tribes had received their inheritance. If you write down this reference in Joshua 14 and verse 1, it says, These are all the countries which the children of Israel inherited in the land of Canaan, which Eleazar the priest, and Joshua the son of Nun, and the heads of the fathers of the tribes of Israel distributed for inheritance to them. So we see that Joshua and Eleazar the priest, they divided up the land. They told each family, this is what you get, and this is what you get. And and then in, in Joshua 24, in verse number 29, it says, It came to pass after these things that Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died, being a hundred and ten years old. And they buried him in the border of his inheritance in Timrath-Sherah, which is in Mount Ephraim, on the north side of the hill of Gash. Then it says in verse 33 of Joshua 24, And Eleazar, the son of Aaron, died, and they buried him in a hill that pertained to Phinehas, his son, which was, uh, which was given him in Mount Ephraim. So we get to this. We, we see that Joshua led them into the promised land. They started conquering. He divided the inheritance to them. But the same thing happened to Joshua and Eleazar that happens to everyone else. They died. And the nation of Israel now, when you get to the book of Judges, everything changes. Because now there's a void of strong leaders of faith. I mean, Joshua, a strong leader of faith. He was one of the two that said at Kadesh Barnea, when, when the ten spies said, we cannot take the land, we cannot go over. It, it, was, it was Caleb who said, let us go up at once, for we are well able. I love that. Like, this is not a problem. Why? Because Joshua and Caleb were looking at God, not the enemy. What a strong leader. But now he was dead. 
Uh, the strong leader was gone. The great man of faith was gone. The spiritual leader, Eleazar, the son of Aaron, was dead. When there is a void of leadership, void of strong leaders of faith in a group, there will always be a falling away. In a home, if you've got parents that, that are strong in their faith and then they pass off the scene, it's sometimes frightening to see what happens to the next generation. Because they don't hold the strong faith that their father had. We see it in, in a church. Uh, a church will have a strong pastor and led them forward for God. And, then, uh, and I've seen this in history where, where a, a pastor would pass off the scene and the church got a totally different kind of pastor. And you've seen this. Famous churches that were built were giant lighthouses for God. And, and the strong leader passes away. And the tendency is to get a leader that's on the opposite end of the scale. A church that was strong on soul winning and strong on separation and strong on Bible preaching and strong on missions will often go clear to the other direction and, and get a church that becomes soft. And, and what happens, usually the guy that's second that takes over after the, the guy that was there a long time, he's usually not there long. And then they find somebody in the middle and the ministry is never what it once was. That's not what God intended, by the way. God used those, those 40 years of Moses leading Israel to also use that time for Moses to train a Joshua. God used uh, you know, men like, like a Barnabas to train a Paul who trained a Timothy. And, and so the strong leadership is important. We see it in a country. You know, where are the great patriots? When was the last time you heard a great statesman in our country? Someone who put country before self. Dr. Lee Robertson said, everything rises and falls on leadership. When you have good leadership, you need to thank God for that. And you need to pray for your leadership. Pray for the leaders. Why? Because they are the, the center of Satan's attack. He knows if he can destroy the leaders, he won't have much to worry about with the followers. And so here in the, in the children of Israel, as Joshua passes off the scene... And we start moving into the time of the judges, there's a lack of leadership. Now take your Bibles, if you will, go to, Josh, uh, to uh, Judges chapter number 1. And we'll read the first three verses here, and, and then we'll, we'll move on down to later bit in the chapter. Judges chapter 1, verse number 1. Now after the death of Joshua, it came to pass that the children of Israel asked the Lord, saying, Who shall go up for us against the Canaanites first to fight against them? And the Lord said, Judah shall go up. Behold, I have delivered the land into his hand. And Judah said unto Simeon his brother, Come up with me into my lot, that we may fight against the Canaanites, and I likewise will go with thee into thy lot. So Simeon went with him. They had been commanded to possess the land. They were told to drive out the inhabitants. The tribe of Judah was ready to go. Uh, the tribe of Simeon was ready to go. But look down at verse number 21 in Judges 1. Uh, verse number 21. And the children of Benjamin did not drive out the Jebusites that inhabited Jerusalem, but the Jebusites dwell in the, uh, with the children of Benjamin in Jerusalem unto this day. 
And the house of Joseph, they also went up against Bethel, and the Lord was with him. And the house of Joseph went to decry Bethel. Uh, now the name of the city before was Luz. And the spies saw a man come out forth out of the city. And they said unto him, Show us, we pray thee, the entrance into the city, and we will show thee mercy. And when he showed them the entrance into the city, they smote the city with the edge of the sword. But they let the man go and all his family. And the man went into the land of the Hittites and built a city called the name thereof Luz, which is the name thereof unto this day. Neither did Manasseh drive out the inhabitants of Beth Shenan and her towns, Do you notice the trend that's going on here? The first two, you have Judah and Simeon, they drove out the the inhabitants of the land. That was the command of God. He wanted his people separate from the people of Canaan. God always wants his people to be separate from the world. But in Judges, you read down through chapter 1, down through the end of the chapter, tribe after tribe decided not to drive out the inhabitants. You go to chapter 2, it says in the... Uh, we'll start in verse number 1, Judges 2, verse 1. And the angel of the Lord came up from Gilgal to Bacham and said, I made you to go up out of Egypt and have brought you into the land which I swear unto your fathers. And I said, I will never break my covenant with you. And ye shall make no league with the inhabitants of this land. Ye shall throw down their altars. But ye have not obeyed my voice. Why have you done this? Look at this. He says to the children of Israel, I told you what to do. I led you out of Egypt. I brought you across the Red Sea. I brought you through the wilderness. You crossed the Jordan into the promised land that I had promised to give you. I told you I would drive them out before you. I told you not to make a league with them. What's that? That's, a, that's an agreement, a compromise. I said, I don't want you to do that. And they did not obey. Uh, he says there at the end of verse number two, but ye have not obeyed my voice. Why have you done this? Sometimes we read the children of Israel and their decisions, and you wonder, what's wrong with them? Don't they remember what God did for them? Don't they remember the ten plagues? Don't they remember Pharaoh drowning and all of his army drowning in the Red Sea? But then we look at our own lives. Don't we remember what God did for us? You get to the New Testament, and the disciples, they remembered not the loaves and the fishes. They were just there when Jesus fed the multitude with a little boy's lunch, and the next day they forgot all about it. It's just so much like us. They did not uh, obey what God had said. Look at verse number 3. Wherefore, I also said, I will not drive them out from before you, but they shall be as thorns in your sides, and their gods shall be a snare unto you. Because of the lack of leadership, there was partial obedience. Oh, they went to the land, but they did not drive out the inhabitants. They tried to get along with them. Can I tell you, as a child of God, you and I cannot be making leagues with the world. The Bible tells us that we're to come out from among them and be ye separate. That means we don't have friends. We're not kind to them. But your closest friend ought not to be somebody that's lost. It ought to be a child of God. Amen. It says we're not, to, to, we're not to be unequally yoked together. We always use that scripture when Paul writes in the church at Corinth. We say, well, that's about marriage. It is. Saved person has no business dating a lost person. Has no business marrying one. Amen? But a saved person has no business going into a business with a lost person. 
You have two different goals. You have two different masters. The children of Israel, because of the lack of leadership, when, when Joshua had died, <coughs> now the people of Israel stopped going forward for God. Uh, look at verse number t- uh, 3 again, Judges 2. Wherefore also I said, I will not drive them out from before you, but they shall be as thorns in your sides, and their gods shall be a snare unto you. The people thought they had a better way. Like, well, we'll just make an agreement. We don't need to fight and destroy everybody. We just, you know, we'll make an agreement, and it'll be fine. That's, they ran into the same problem we do when we think we have a better plan than God does. How many times do we make decisions that's based upon our human understanding rather than the clear instructions of Scripture? And when we go by our way and not God's way, it never turns out right. Why? Because you don't have the blessing of God on you. He told them that their disobedience would have consequences. The book of Judges is full of that. We're going to talk about that a little bit more in a minute. But Galatians 6, 7, still in your Bible, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of, his flesh, of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. You cannot sow to sin and then pray for a crop failure. You're going to get some results. I love the way Pastor words it. You can, you can make your decision. You can choose what you're going to do, but you cannot choose the consequences. Here God told the nation of Israel, you do it my way or I will not drive them out before you. Why did they have victory at Jericho? Because God went before them. I mean, Rahab told them, we, our hearts melted when we heard of you. Yet they got to the little city of Ai and didn't do it God's way thought they could handle it on their own, just send a few men up, and what happened? They were, they were chased away from the little city of Ai. Why, they didn't do it in God's way. Look down, if you will, to Judges chapter 2 and verse number 7. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua, and all the days of the elders that outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works of the Lord that he did for Israel. And Joshua the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died, being a hundred and ten years old. And they buried him in the border of his inheritance in Tinath, Heres, in the Mount of Ephraim, on the north side of the hill Gaish. And also all that generation were gathered unto their fathers. And there arose another generation after them, which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and served Balaam. And they forsook the Lord God of their fathers, which brought them out of the land of Egypt, and followed other gods of the gods of the people that were round about them, and bowed themselves unto them, and provoked the Lord to anger. And they forsook the Lord, and served Baal and Ashtaroth. And it says there in verse number 14, And the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel, and he delivered them into the hands of the spoilers that spoiled them, and he sold them into the hands of their enemies round about, so that they could not any longer stand before their enemies. It's interesting when you see this, these people had seen the blessings of the Lord. They had seen God do things you and I have never seen. We've not seen manna come down out of heaven. We've not seen the Jordan River part. We have not seen the walls of a city get knocked down just because we marched around it for seven days. It's an interesting thing. The Bible says there in verse number 7, look at it again, the first part of the verse. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua. As long as Joshua was alive, they were conquering new land. 
As long as Joshua was alive, they were getting more of the inheritance. As long as Joshua was alive, they were obeying the Lord. But when Joshua died, the people quit conquering. They quit claiming new ground. They began to get comfortable with the accomplishments of their parents. They had no desire to see God do anything more in their life. Where are you at in your Christian life? Are you pushing forward like you did when you first got saved? Remember when you first got saved? You wanted to read your Bible all the time. Uh, you, you prayed. You, you went to church. I mean, pastor announced there was a revival meeting. You couldn't wait to get there. Now the service goes past 12.05 and you get nervous. Did the Bible change? No. What changed? Our hunger for it. The children of Israel, when Joshua died, their desire to go forward for God changed. I've seen this trend in churches where we lose our young people to the world. A cycle that I've seen, preachers, it's like this. They, a, a, uh, parents will get saved. They're first-generation Christians. They are fired up. They came out of, maybe out of a false religion. They came out of, of deep sin. They're, they get saved, and they understood the grace of God that saved them. I think sometimes we get over the blood He put us under. They were serving the Lord. They were sold out. They were faithful to God. They raised their children in church. I mean, they didn't send them to church. They took them to church. Amen? And uh, God blessed them. The children grow up in that environment. They get saved probably when they're young because they've been around it their whole life. They become somewhat faithful. They're there. Of course, as a child, when you've got faithful parents, you didn't get the choice whether or not you were going to church Sunday night. Amen. We never had a question at our house at 321 Lake Street, Troy, Ohio, where dad lives, where I grew up. Uh, there was never a question on Sunday afternoon. Dad, we going to church tonight? That wasn't an option. And, and you try to be sick, you know, and not go, you better be going to the hospital or you're going to church. It's just the way it was. I don't see any blood. Come on, boy, get in the car. It's just it's the way it was. You go to church and they're faithful because they have to be. But they don't have the passion their parents did because it hasn't been personal to them. You see, Joshua had gone up on the mountain with Moses and stood in the tent door while God spoke to Moses. He was there. He saw some things and experienced some things himself that God had done for Moses and God did it for him. It was personal to him. But often that next generation, they don't have victory of their own to talk about. What happens? Just like these people, they begin to look like the world. They didn't push the people out. They just mingled with them. Then we see the next generation. Look again at verse number 7. The people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders that outlived Joshua, notice this, who had seen all the great works of the Lord that he did for Israel. And then verse number 10, and also that generation were gathered unto their fathers, and there arose another generation after them, which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. That next generation, you get the parents that pass off, the younger kids, they're the next generation, second generation Christians, if you will, often don't have the passion their parents did, and don't serve with the faithfulness they did. Why? Because they didn't have some of those same experiences. They weren't saved out of great sin. Oftentimes their children want to know what the world's like. I think we fail our children when we don't explain to them how bad sin is. 
I remember when I was in Jacksonville, Florida, we lived there for about five years, and I ran a children's ministry and church there, and, and uh, I preached at the Jacksonville Rescue Mission, the Trinity Rescue Mission in Jacksonville, uh, four to five times a month. And uh, I would go down there and preach, and, and it's just, if you've ever preached in a, or been to a rescue mission, that's a tough place to go. You see just broken lives. I remember I would take my boys. Uh, I took them down with me one night when I was preaching there. I may have told this story here before, but I was, uh, one night we got there, and, and I noticed a man laying in the gutter in front of the, the rescue mission, covered in his own vomit. I knew him. Because he was a former surgeon. In fact, if you stand at the front door of the Trinity Rescue Mission and look straight across the river, the, the, you'll see Baptist Hospital. The man laying in the gutter used to be the chief of surgery there. But he became a drunk. Lost his family, lost his career. And preacher, I remember taking my boys right up to the edge of the curb and showing them the man. I said, that man used to be a doctor there. And liquor did that to him. So that's what beer does. That's what whiskey does. Don't touch it. Uh, I, I, I told our kids, and I'd heard Brother House tell this, that he did this to his kids, and I did the same thing. Um, we would tell them, beer bad. Beer, no, no, beer bad. We teach them that when they're real little. I was pastoring my first church in Ohio in a city uh, where it was seven miles from where I grew up, the same county where I grew up. And uh, we were in the grocery store one day. And uh, I was in the ice cream aisle. Somebody's sitting right there. It's a good place to be. And John Mark, our, or John, our youngest son, was in the, in the buggy. And, and uh, you probably guys, you, you probably call them carts. In the South, we call them buggies. But anyway, he's, he's in there. And uh, we're going up and down. And, and uh, just across from the ice cream is the beer cooler. Why do they always do that? They put the liquor next to the ice cream or something like that, you know? And, uh, and one of the stores around here, the, my, the Starbucks Frappuccinos that I like so well, the Karma ones. Oh, man, I need another one right now. Those are almost always right across the aisle from the liquor. But anyway, we're going down through there. And so I just stopped and said, John, that beer bad. Beer, no, no. That's right, Dad. So we're going along, and, and, and a lady walked up in that same aisle. We're looking for our ice cream, and she goes to pick up a case of beer. And John was, what, four Says, beer bad, beer no, no, beer bad. She sets it back down. She kind of backs away and looks at me. And I I saw her and realized I'd gone to high school with her. I knew her. She looked at John and just walked out the store, left her buggy right there. That's effective preaching right there. But you know why our kids will play with that stuff? We don't tell them. Beer's bad. Beer, no, no. You see, once you get a generation past when that family was saved out of great sin, sometimes we forget to warn our children the dangers of sin. That's what happened here. The people served the Lord. Look at verse 7. All the days of Joshua. And all the days of the elders that outlived Joshua, who had seen the great works of the Lord that he did for Israel. Verse number 10, and, they're, and, they're all, and also all that generation were gathered unto their fathers. And there rose another generation after them, which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. 
You find in verse number 21, that, or verse 20, uh, I'm sorry, verse 11, uh, the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. Verse 12, they forsook the Lord. The end of verse 12, the, and provoked the Lord to anger. Verse 13, they forsook the Lord and served Balaam and Ashtaroth, and the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel. You see, Joshua knew God personally, and he knew his works personally. The next generation, they knew God, but only knew about his works. Do you have anything to tell your children that God's personally done for you? Do you have any great stories that you carry on to your family, how God stepped in and did the miraculous in your family? They need to hear that. The first generation, Joshua, he knew God and knew his works. The elders knew God and knew about his works, and that the another generation, the third generation, they knew not God nor his works. You see, it's very dangerous when, when leadership falters, that next generation is going to suffer. That's exactly what happened in the children of Israel. You get into Judges, you see some things that, that God has to do because Israel refused to obey him. If you would go to Judges chapter number 6, we've just seen there in, in chapter 2, uh, that he had said um, in verse number three, I will not drive them out before you. He said, okay, I'm going to do something now because of your sin. Judges chapter six in verse number one. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian seven years. And the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel and because of the, uh, the Midianites, the children of Israel made them dens in the mountains, in the caves, in the strongholds. Of course, this story is, is going to lead into the story of Gideon. It says, And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian. We saw that a, that a lack of leadership leads to partial obedience and sin, and sin has consequences. The book of Judges is a tough book to read. Because you see a cycle. The book of Judges, Israel sins. They turned against God. They turned to idols. So God judges them. He allowed them to be conquered by their enemies. Israel then cries out to God. He sends a deliverer, usually one of the judges. And Israel repents. And they start the cycle over again. You see it over and over and over again. As we get into the study of lessons of faith, and we'll get to Gideon next week. But we see in this, this book of, of Judges and this period of time that we're going to talk about, we see that leadership is important. Now, every one of us have a position of leadership. Somebody watches you. You know what leadership is? It's influence. Uh, as a parent, you've got great opportunity for influence. You know, people ask me, who was the greatest influence in your life? Without a question, my dad and my mom. Uh, next of all would be my pastor, uh, the Agrippa. Next of that would be Dr. Joe Boyd, who trained me. Uh, those, those people, I allowed them to have influence. It shaped who I am. We as parents need to be very careful who we allow to have influence in our children's lives. Be a leader. Be a parent. If you're, if you're in a position uh, here at the church where you teach a Sunday school class, well, you're not doing that because I am today, but uh, you lead something, you, you lead a ministry, you work with the children on Wednesday nights, wherever it is that you serve, 
Realize the responsibility of your leadership. It's to point them to God in such a way that when you're not there, they're still watching God and walking forward for Him. That's what Moses did for Joshua. Leadership is important. In the lessons of faith from the time of Judges, we learned that partial obedience will not bring God's blessing. You cannot get God's best when you disobey Him. And sin has consequences. Let's read our text back there in the book of Hebrews again. Then in our next lesson, we'll, we'll jump into some of these in particular. And what shall I more say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, and of Barak, and of Samson, and Jephthah, and of David also, and Samson, Samuel, and all the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions. As we get into these other lessons the exciting thing is, in that dark time of Israel's history, in the Judges, there were those who decided to live by faith, and God blessed them and blessed those around them because of their life of faith. It doesn't really matter what the society is doing. We can have God's blessing and experience His best if we will walk by faith. Father, thank you for allowing us to be in Sunday school. I pray you'd help us now as we go into the morning service. Help us to live these lessons of faith. May we be strong in our leadership. May we pray for those leaders above us. May we be, be sold out to you. May we completely obey you. As Joshua and Caleb said, that they have wholly followed the Lord. May that be our testimony so that the generation behind us will know how to live for you and know why to live for you. And may it pass to another generation that can live for you. Thank you for these lessons of faith in the scriptures. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.